Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's the Weeds. I'm John Glenn Hill. Today, I'm excited to be joined by a special guest, my colleague, Bird Pinkerton, a senior producer and reporter for Vox's Unexplainable podcast. Hi, Bird. Hello. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but we were once in the trenches together back in 2016. That's true. We were both temp producers on the election desk yeah. back at- NPR. Yeah, back in the day. Who, look at us. <laughs> look at how far we've come. Look at us now doing sort of the same job. <laughs> <laughs> look at us doing the exact same thing. It's almost a decade later. Demonstrating so much growth. <laughs> so, you're a senior producer and a reporter for Unexplainable. And a few months ago, you all published this really great mini series about the scientific mysteries of pregnancy. And it talks about what we know and also what we don't know. Why did you want to do this series? What sparked your interest in it? Oh, good question. Um, so I do a lot of, of reporting on, on reproductive health, actually. Like, I cover lots of topics like the ocean and the light at the edge of the universe. But I, I, I'm really interested in the sort of mysteries around health and and reproductive health specifically. And one of the things that I just kept encountering in my reporting on other things like ovaries or endometriosis was just how little we know about pregnancy, like like how little we know about what it's doing to someone's body, about like why it is doing those things to a person's body. And there, you know, there are subjects that we don't know that much about because, they like don't get covered the way that they should or or whatever but but the mysteries around pregnancy are especially wild to me because this is a topic that like so many people care about and and fight about and and so many people have personal experience with in terms of like giving birth everyone has experience with in terms of being given birth too and so it is just sort of mind-boggling to me that we don't understand so many things about what is sort of going on in there was there anything that you learned in your reporting that surprised you? I mean, literally, like, everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I read this book uh, by Chelsea Conaboy uh, that was all about how parenting might be kind of reshaping your brain almost as intensely as as puberty does. Um, and we just sort of don't really know that much about 
that, which was kind of wild to me. I also learned that uh, my mom has cells from me inside of her that have like oh. become a part of her body. And those cells could have like positive things that they're doing in there and also negative things that we're doing in there. We just don't really know. Um, so just lots of things that I was encountering. And then um, my colleague, Karen Landman, came to me with this like weed mystery that also kind of blew my mind. So yeah, it was just sort of like a continuous well of surprise. Yeah, I want to get into, you know, why we're dropping this episode of Unexplainable. So the last episode in that series is about weed and pregnancy. And that really, like, raised my policy <laughs> antenna. And without giving too much away, because, you know, we need the people to listen to the podcast. Can you tell us what this episode is about? Yeah. So, like, Too Long Didn't Listen. Basically, Karen tells me about sort of how little we know about the effects of weed on pregnancy. So, like, if you look at alcohol or cigarette smoking, for example, like, we can point to pretty clear physical issues that arise uh, with those things. But with weed, there's just not the same clear physical issues. And, and the science is kind of mixed on other consequences. But then, and I think this is what you're speaking to, like, even though the science is not all that strong and weed is legal in a lot of places— there's just a, a bunch of states that have extremely harsh policies kind of locking people up or taking away their kids for smoking marijuana during pregnancy. And so that's overall what the episode's about. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this country has a very long history of being especially punitive when it comes to drugs. Um, and there's a whole lot tied to that history. But I can't lie I initially bristled at the idea of a person using marijuana while they're pregnant. And it's something that I very much had to check my judgment on because I realized, oh, we don't have data on this in part because of marijuana's status as a Schedule One drug. Like, that keeps us from doing research a lot of the time. Do you ever think about kind of the way that policy impact scientific research like that? That was my first time really, like, (laughs) thinking about it, you know? Oh, there's a lot to unpack (laughs) in there. (laughs) Um, I think just to address actually the first thing that you said there, um, and then to get to the policy question, but, like, one thing Karen told me that that really stuck with me is that pregnancy can be just sort of awful, right? Mm. So for some people, there's really, really bad nausea, um, there's a lot of other issues. And and for some of these people, like, weed can really help with those issues that they are facing. And, you know, if they weren't taking weed, one of the things she said was sort of they might have to take something else, something that might also have its own issues or its own side effects. So when I think about, like, weed use in pregnancy, it's often people sort of trying to treat things that they are recognizing in themselves to sort of make their pregnancy a little smoother, a little bit better. But um, yeah, on the on the policy front, I think that's sort of the whole project of our show in some ways is to talk about the ways that like science is a very human project, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist in this sort of perfect objective vacuum. What What gets funding, what we know, what we don't know, it is shaped by policy decisions by sort of cultural ideas about what is and and isn't important or or prestigious. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, like, the scientific method isn't an amazing tool, right? But it's science is done 
by humans and for humans. And so I think sometimes considering the ways that policy affects what we can and can't know is really useful. And for weed and pregnancy, like I I obviously would love to have answers on this. But I think one of the things that, that Karen said that really stuck with me is that we might never have answers on this for, mm-hmm. for some of the reasons that you mentioned, right? Like it is a schedule one drug like that does keep scientists from doing some of the research that they might want to do. But also, like, it's it's hard to set up, like, a, a double-blind study where you can say, hey, can you do this thing that might hurt your kids? We don't know mm. yet. That's also <laughs> uh, sort of a wrinkle in there. So, so you, we might not get perfect answers, but based on the science that we have now, we can, we can make the policies a little bit less harsh or a little less draconian. Mm. You mentioned these kind of lingering questions you have, like, what are some of those? And how are you, I guess, like navigating just being like, ah, cannot be fully explained? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of what our show is, right, is grappling with the fact that there is a lot in the world that we may never understand or never know. And and what do you do in a space of uncertainty? Or what do you do with the things that science either hasn't answered or may never answer or hasn't funded? Sometimes I feel like there's this feeling that science is this kind of, it's on a pedestal as just... It has every answer um, and it is never wrong. And I think sometimes it is it's helpful to sort of sit with the things that science doesn't know and also sit with the ways that the information that we have can change over time or we can learn new things and need to sort of change our approach accordingly. You can find more of Bird's reporting at Vox.com slash unexplainable. Up next... We dive into the unknowns of weed and pregnancy. Stick with us. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org slash future to learn more and support their cause. Support for the weeds comes from Burrow. Okay, are you ready for the understatement of the century? Buying furniture can be frustrating. You end up visiting a bunch of stores searching aimlessly for the right pieces to match your home, then spend hours trying to get those pieces together or together again if you got it wrong the first time. And that's even if you were able to get it through the door. Burrow is a furniture company that wants to make the whole thing easier. 
Burroughs' new Dune line features a contemporary yet timeless look inspired by the craftsmanship of classic mid-century construction. If you're looking to bring a sense of luxury, comfort, and durability to your outdoor spaces, you might want to consider Burrow. Like all of Burrow's pieces, they offer easy assembly and disassembly so you can move or store them away as needed. Not only that, they ship straight to your door for free. Listeners of The Weeds can get 15% off their first order at burrow.com slash weeds. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash weeds for 15% off. Burrow.com slash weeds. Karen Landman is a great person to come to with questions. And a few months ago, a friend of mine asked me if it was okay for her to continue smoking pot while she was pregnant. Karen is such a great person to ask this kind of question because she's a physician and she's also a health and science reporter here at Vox. So she started digging around for answers for her friend, trying to figure out, you know, is weed safe to use during pregnancy? And she found out that her friend was not alone. A lot of people have this question. In my research, I ran across a website and a podcast called Blunt Blowin' Mama by this woman named Shanitra Anthony. And it's all about giving moms advice about how to safely use weed. And uh, so I reached out to talk to her. I've spoken to, I want to say at this point, hundreds of women. They're asking for understanding. They're asking for guidance. They're asking for support. These parents asking Shanitria for guidance and support, they often didn't feel safe going to their doctors for advice. Telling a medical provider can flag, they can flag you, and that can cause problems. Each state is different, but even if you're in a legal state, you can face consequences. Big consequences, like having your kid taken away or or getting locked up. It's scary, and I always tell people that the biggest fear and risk for a person who decides to use cannabis during pregnancy is the legal ramifications that may follow if someone finds out. So I always tell them, you know, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. But Karen found that these laws and these consequences, they don't really square with the science. Honestly, we really don't know all that much about how weed affects a fetus. I mean, there's a ton of data out there, lots and lots of studies. For decades, uh, people have been studying this, but the science is still pretty inconclusive. There are a lot of unknowns, and yet the policies on this are incredibly harsh, especially because, you know, cannabis is legal in more than 20 states. And yet we still include it among drugs for which we will really, really severely punish parents for using them while while they're pregnant. Just didn't line up for me. This is Unexplainable. I'm Bird Pinkerton. And this is the final episode of our series, Expecting, about how scientific mysteries about pregnancy affect parents. In this series, we have looked at how a fetus can change a parent's cells and how a child can change a parent's brain. But on today's show, we're looking at one question, this question of how much weed a person can or should use during pregnancy, to understand an even broader problem. When we lack answers about pregnancy, what is the impact on parents? What is the impact on their bodies, on their lives, and even on their freedom?
So Karen Landman, first of all, I feel like there are a bunch of different terms for weed, but like, what is the difference between like cannabis and and weed and and CBD oil and what like all the sort of products that are out there? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, basically, when we say marijuana and weed and pot and grass (laughs) and hash, we generally mean the same thing. We mean the flower of the cannabis plant um, and products that include the psychoactive chemicals that that flower contains. And the most important one for these purposes is delta-9-tetrahydrocannabinol, which we usually abbreviate as THC. Okay. So if we just use the term like weed as an umbrella term throughout, we can just assume we're referring to like THC specifically, the thing that kind of like gets you high within weed. Yeah. Okay. So why are pregnant parents using weed to begin with? So most of them use it for nausea and vomiting. I saw a study where like 70% of the people who used cannabis while they were pregnant were using it for morning sickness or similar related symptoms. But people use it for lots of different things. In addition to morning sickness, people use it to treat pain and to help stimulate appetite, to help them sleep, to deal with anxiety and depression. A lot of people are using it for symptom management, and they haven't actually been told by a doctor to use it for that, but they just know that it that it works for that. I talked to Katrina Marks. She's an OBGYN and addiction medicine specialist who works in Baltimore. So I'm dual board certified in both OBGYN and addiction medicine. And she said that the biggest questions that she gets is... How safe is cannabis during pregnancy or what are the risks of cannabis during pregnancy? And, um, you know, if you pick up a pack of cigarettes or a bottle of alcohol, there's messaging on there from... Um, the Surgeon General about risks in pregnancy, but that doesn't exist with cannabis. Is it super common to use it? Like, are a lot of people doing this or is this a small? Yeah, a ton of people are doing it. Yeah, so I saw studies where, you know, in states where it's legal, like 7% of pregnant people use cannabis while they're pregnant. Oh, okay. That's a lot, right? And um, that number is even higher if you look at communities where the norms might be a little bit different. You Mm -hmm. know, I saw some data suggesting that anywhere between like 15 and almost 30 percent of young urban women use cannabis while they're pregnant. So if I'm pregnant, um, I'm not. But, you know, let's say I I had a fetus. What's going on in there? Like, how is my consumption of, say, food or weed or whatever then getting down to the fetus? So everything that's in a parent's bloodstream basically gets kind of run through or run past the placenta Mm -hmm. before it hits the baby. And can THC get through? Like, can weed get through? It can. We don't know exactly how much does. But yeah, so weed or its metabolites, which is a fancy way of saying like all the little things that weed gets broken down to, that THC gets broken down to inside the adult's body— Um, All of that can pass through the placenta and into the fetus's bloodstream. But there's a filtering process, right? Less of it ends up in the fetus's bloodstream than is in the parent's bloodstream. Mm -hmm. We have some older observational studies that suggest a fraction of the THC that's in the parent actually ends up in the fetus, maybe around three to seven times less. Is the fetus—this is such a dumb question—is the fetus getting high— Great question. It's not a dumb question. We have no idea. We, oh, we really don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, yeah. Um, how do you even measure? Right. <laughs> 
So, um, so what do like what do we know here? Not just about like fetuses getting high or not yeah. getting high, but like so what what do we know about how weed is potentially affecting these fetuses? Well, okay, so we know that there are receptors both in the placenta and in the developing fetus's brain that are nerve cells that can be seen and attached to by THC. But like Katrina Marks told me, we really don't know a whole lot about what that means. We know that it gets to the fetus and then there's just a lot of biologic plausibility there that that as the brain is developing and you're developing all of these different receptors, that being exposed to a substance like this would affect those areas of the brain and development. We also have a lot of information about birth weight and about head circumference, which are a little bit more concrete, but that doesn't really give us the kind of information we want. That's not actually what we care about, right? We don't care the, about the birth weight. What we care about is the long-term effects on that human being as they grow up. If you were to observe and compare groups of parents who did and did not use cannabis during pregnancy and then follow their kids out for years, you would find that there are some small differences in attention, in behavior, and in learning that are detrimental. So negative effects in these areas for the kids of the folks who smoked cannabis or used cannabis, I should say. What kind of detrimental? There's deficits in being able to pay attention, Hmm. deficits in, um, there's some studies that found that there's a little bit more aggression at certain ages and oddly skewed toward girls born to folks who used cannabis compared with those who didn't. Um, How intense are are these effects? They're measurable differences, but they're still within the range of normal, which makes, you know, you can imagine that makes it kind of complicated. And and you were saying before these are they're observing this. It sounds like these are like observational studies, which that's is right. that's very different from like a randomized controlled trial or something, right. right? Yeah, so that that randomized controlled trial is kind of the gold standard of medical drug testing. Um it's where you basically take two groups of people and one group takes the medicine or takes the drug, and the other group doesn't. And you try to get people from the same racial and ethnic background, the same financial background, all kinds of similarities so that you're basically comparing only one thing, which is whether they're using the drug or not. You can't do that in pregnant folks very easily, period, but you especially cannot do it with a drug that is illegal and that we suspect has some detrimental effects. So we don't have that kind of data in pregnant folks. What we have are data where we just follow the kids of folks who are in each one of these groups to see if they're different. And that means we have a really hard time separating out all the other things that might go along with using cannabis while you're pregnant, like having, I mean, this is on the extreme end, but like having unmedicated anxiety or depression Mm -hmm. or, you know, living in a low-income setting. Those kinds of things, we know those are associated with all kinds of neurobehavioral problems in kids. And we have a really hard time separating those out from uh, the actual cannabis effects when we don't have a randomized trial. So it sounds like what you're saying is we have sort of this weak effect that we've seen in these studies that are not our, like, gold standard kinds of studies. They're just kind of our, like, we looked around and we're seeing what was happening and here's what we found. How does this compare to the things that we know about, um, like, alcohol or smoking, for example, and the effect that it has on a fetus? 
So I think that what makes it different for alcohol and smoking is that they cause some physical deficits that are a lot more concrete and easier for doctors like Katrina Marks to measure. Something like fetal alcohol syndrome. You can very clearly point to alcohol and say, this is the thing that it causes. Where with cannabis, it's much more nebulous and we don't have an exact thing to say, if you smoke cannabis in your second trimester, when you're five years old, you'll be diagnosed with ADHD. We don't have that direct causality. So it sounds like there's like a lot of uncertainties here in terms of there's no like huge neon sign saying like, hey, weed's definitely bad. Right. When people ask if it's safe to use cannabis in pregnancy, you know, what they're usually asking is, is this going to have effects on my fetus? But what they're not asking is, you know, compared to what? Like, what is the alternative to using cannabis in pregnancy? Mm -hmm. Particularly with things like nausea and vomiting, which is one of the reasons that a lot of people say that they use it, we kind of fail as a medical community. Like, we don't have great treatments for all of these things. For people who are pregnant and who use cannabis, not using cannabis generally means, you know, one of three alternatives. One is that whatever symptoms they're managing with cannabis are just going to be really severe and untreated. So, like, if they're using cannabis to treat chronic pain or if they're using it to treat morning sickness, they might just have to deal with the chronic pain or the morning sickness. And uh, I'm not sure if you've heard much about pregnancy, but it sounds like it's pretty rough on the body. So <laughs> that's not a great alternative, right? For some folks who use cannabis in pregnancy, the alternative might be a different illicit substance. So they may, instead of using cannabis to manage pain, they might use an opioid to manage pain. We know that opioids have harmful effects on a pregnancy. So that's not a great alternative either. And then, uh, you know, a third alternative is a drug that was developed by the pharmaceutical industry to treat whatever their symptoms are. And those come with their own risks. You know, there's a lot uh, that we don't know. I mean, we just don't know how a whole lot of drugs, both legal and illegal, affect pregnancy. Is weed like a huge outlier here or is it kind of representative of actually like a bunch of drugs, like legal or illegal, in terms of what we actually know about how they affect pregnancy? I think for most drugs, it's like weed. Hmm. About 90% of drugs, from, I'm, we're talking here about FDA-approved drugs. We don't really know what they do in pregnancy, good or bad. 90%? Yeah, it's just, it's hard, it's hard to study. It's hard to study drugs in pregnant folks. They're kind of a protected class in research. So there are a lot of restrictions on conducting research in pregnant folks. This is an issue. This is an issue people are trying to do something about because it means that we have a lot fewer options to treat various conditions in pregnant folks because we just don't know what they do. So a lot of what we do know about drug safety in pregnant folks is from observational studies like what we have for cannabis. And that's obviously not ideal. What's the impact of that lack of knowledge on, on like, families in the doctor's office? So, you know, parents don't want to hear, we don't have options for you. <laughs> and because there's an absence of knowledge, we have an absence of options. And so people just have to kind of find their own sources, find their own information, do their own personal experiments on what works and doesn't work. And then we penalize or judge people that find their own ways to treat these symptoms. After the break, it's not just that we don't have answers for parents. It's also that we penalize these unknowns. 
Support for the weeds comes from Hydro. Finding the time to exercise can be hard. But with the Hydro Rower, finding time for a 20-minute full-body workout can be a piece of cake. Hydro is a state-of-the-art, low-impact home rowing machine that's actually designed by rowers. Hydro caters to all fitness levels, and their classes are taught by Olympians and world-class athletes alike. Eric Maxwell, from the business side of things here at Vox, got to try it out. Here's what he thought. The Hydro definitely felt like a nice workout. It felt challenging, intuitive. It kind of felt natural without being too strenuous. It was just nice to have a menu of options to find something super customized and just make it feel fun. This spring, you can join the growing rowing community at Hydro. You can head over to hydro.com and use code WEEDS to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com code WEEDS to save up to $400. Hydro.com code WEEDS. We only buy weed from you, baby. So, Karen Landman, health and science reporter at Vox. Um, You started investigating the effects of weed on pregnancy when your friend asked you to look into it. And then you found that even though we don't know a ton about how weed could impact a pregnancy or a child, there are actually a lot of potential legal consequences for parents to navigate, right? So what are some of the policies that states have in place? Yeah. So 24 states have laws that say that drug use during pregnancy, and that includes cannabis, because cannabis, again, is federally illegal, is equivalent to child abuse. What? Yep. That includes some states where recreational use is legal. We start tonight with an investigation into mothers facing jail time for using prescribed medical marijuana. Some of these women are facing life in prison. Life imprisonment. Women being charged with felony child neglect after their newborns tested positive for medical marijuana. Child Protective Services was called. I wonder, is this the day that someone's coming to take my baby? So to be completely clear, we have no particularly excellent science indicating that weed has like strong, measurable, life-changing effects on a baby and smoking it in almost half the states constitutes child abuse. Henny, in Colorado, substance abuse in pregnancy is considered child abuse. Yes, I mean, it- What? Without, okay, yes. sorry. It's very, you see why it's confusing? Uh, That's not where it ends. Um, Three states make it possible for pregnant people to be jailed for using drugs during pregnancy. Are you serious? Which states? Alabama, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Okay. And in another three, parents can be involuntarily committed to rehab or jail for using cannabis during pregnancy. Before you ask, that's uh, Minnesota, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. So if you're in one of these states with these really, really strict laws, like, say, Alabama or or South Dakota, if an expecting parent goes in, what happens if they test positive uh, for weed in, in a drug test in those states? They don't even have to test positive. They just have to tell the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time that they smoked weed while they were pregnant. So there are some really really horrifying cases, um, pretty recent from Alabama, that illustrate this. One is of a woman who was jailed 
after admitting to cops that she'd smoked pot the day she learned she was pregnant. And the county where she was detained wouldn't let her leave jail unless she went to drug rehab. But the drug rehab refused her because they said she's not addicted. She's just a casual marijuana user. So she was stuck in jail pregnant for three months. Oh, my God. Because the county's laws wouldn't let her leave without a rehab plan. I mean, she eventually was let out. But I mean, there are other cases. An Arizona woman is getting national attention after using medical marijuana legally during her pregnancy. In Arizona, a woman who actually worked for Child Protective Services, had a script for using cannabis to treat morning sickness and was charged with child abuse and neglect, put on a child abuse registry. DCS said Rogel neglected the child by exposing him prenatally to cannabis. I think the state Supreme Court has ordered that charge reversed and ordered her removed from that registry. But, I mean, she had, you know, a doctor's approval, a doctor's instruction even, to use cannabis to manage her symptoms. And that even that did not protect her from these laws. What? Part of this is because cannabis is still illegal under federal law. And so there's a federal policy called CARA. That's the Comprehensive Addiction and Recovery Act. And it applies to cannabis use as well as other drugs. And it was passed in 2016, so relatively recently. And what it does is require states to address the needs of newborns who were exposed to substances in utero. And even though you can't test a pregnant person for drugs without their consent, babies can be tested Hmm. uh, without the parent's consent. And under CARA, if a baby tests positive for a substance, then whatever the state's policy around that substance use in pregnancy gets applied. Hospitals get to make their own policies about whether they test newborns for drugs. Um, But states make the policies about what hospitals have to do with that information once they get it. And so while some states don't have punitive policies around it, others do. And so it's just incredibly, incredibly confusing. So... This These policies are not being made in response to science, it sounds like, because uh, there's this vacuum. These policies are being made in response to weed being illegal on a federal level. And so it sort of like trickles down into these punitive laws. Right. If these kinds of policies were being made based on science, then we would have them related to tobacco. Hmm. We don't have these policies around tobacco. So to be totally clear, like, we do have very good data on tobacco having, like, measurable negative effects in babies, but we don't punish those things. Instead, we punish consuming a thing that does not seem to create measurable differences in babies. Yep. That's the decision we made. That's basically right. And I think... Part of that is that tobacco is legal in this country. And the existence of these policies is arguably itself very harmful. It causes a lot of stigma. It causes, like I said, a lot of confusion. And that stigma, that confusion that these punitive policies cause could likely cause a lot more harm to fetuses than the actual drug use itself does. Yeah, like what does this mean for the care, both of the parents and the fetuses? So to many parents, this thicket of policies and the stories that keep coming out about the people who are on the business end of these policies make them feel like prenatal care and like delivering in a hospital are just a trap. Hmm. And that's especially true for parents of color. 
For example, black newborn babies are a lot more likely to be drug tested than white newborns. Um, in one study, you know, clinicians ordered drug tests for seven-ish percent of black newborns compared with about two percent of white newborns. So that just means you're going to be applying these punitive policies disproportionately to people who already distrust healthcare because it it makes them feel like healthcare providers are an extension of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. The space between a healthcare provider and a patient should be a place of trust, but it introduces an immense amount of distrust into that space. The laws don't make any sense, and I think they really stand in the way of um, people accessing appropriate medical care. For providers like Katrina Marks, this has a huge impact on the relationships she has with her patients. I dream of a day where all I have to talk to people about is the actual health impacts of things and not the, the legal aspects of it. And it also has a huge impact on moms like Shanitra Anthony. So I just wish in a world like we could go to these care providers and they could provide us support on how to care for ourselves. Yes, pregnancy is a blessing and it's all about the baby, but it's about mom too. Mm, yeah. It's really hard to come out and be the one that's like, viewed as pro-drugs, right? Which, like, I'm not pro-drugs. I'm I'm pro-medical care and accurate information. I feel very strongly that um, punitive action and legal policies are not the solution here. You know, we see this in the literature, that punitive policies really have a strong effect on whether pregnant folks seek prenatal care. And that, we know, has an effect on child health. When people come to prenatal care, their outcomes are much better, even if they continue to use drugs. And so this system that we've set up, that people are afraid to come to care because there are these reporting laws that they may or may not understand, the provider may not understand. It really sets up, the, again, this mutual distrust. And so then people don't come to care and then that causes negative impacts on their pregnancy. Is the solution here to learn more about the effect of uh, the sort of range of drugs on pregnancy, or is it to change the policy? Like, what should the future look like here? You really have to look at this and ask, what are we, like we meaning public health and policymakers and healthcare more broadly, what what are we trying to do here? <laughs> and what are we actually doing? And what is the gulf between those things? I think, you know, we're never going to get the kind of study that lets us definitively say how much cannabis is safe during pregnancy, when it's safe to use, what forms are safest to use. But we know a lot about the negative impacts of the policies that we've made already. And experts I talked to said that one of the biggest ways to reduce the negative effects of these policies is to federally legalize cannabis. That would make a big difference. It wouldn't fix the problems that result from punitive policies around other drug use in pregnancy, but it would at least remove cannabis from the list of substances that could trigger those policies. It just feels like it is hard enough to have a living thing inside of your body growing and and changing and and then you throw in all these these mysteries the sort of like policy landscape we've built up around weed yeah i mean even in some states where weed is legal they have laws on the books that equate using it during pregnancy with child abuse so it's like it's the pregnancy state that makes you a criminal right not the use it's the fact that you're doing it while pregnant 
that makes it criminal. And so you have to wonder, where is that coming from? Why are we doing this? Why do we why do we think it makes sense to, as a society, suddenly consider a pregnant person's body a publicly owned and publicly regulated piece of property where different rules apply? What do providers do? What do patients do in this situation? It's These are really hard questions. Throughout the series on pregnancy, I've been looking at the ways that having a kid or being pregnant shapes a parent, like how pregnancy shapes parents' brains and their bodies. Coming into this conversation with Karen, though, I actually thought we would flip that script a little, like that we'd be talking more about how a parent shapes their kid or about the effects of weed on a fetus in the womb, how that shapes the child that comes out. So I was surprised to realize that actually this did still wind up being a conversation about parents, like a, about how mysteries and unknowns around weed and pregnancy can, can make this already very difficult process of pregnancy much harder. Like how it can shape parents' lives both in the doctor's office and also in the court system. And then Shanitria told Karen something that, that made me think of this whole episode beyond just the questions of, of weed. You're sent home with this baby. You're sent home with your new body, your new reality, your new life. And that's it. I thought that if I asked for help, then I didn't look like a good mom or I didn't look like I was doing it right. And it's not fair. In pregnancy, it feels like there are a lot of questions with no good answers. And a lot of parents like Shanitria trying to figure out how to do the best job taking care of their baby and themselves. And we'll never have all the answers to all the questions about pregnancy to give these parents. But we can make choices about the policies we enact and and the environment that we create in doctor's offices that make parents' lives just a little bit easier instead of harder, right? That, That make things a little more fair. For more of Karen's reporting, check out the link in our show notes. You can also find more from Bird and the Unexplainable team at vox.com unexplainable. Just a quick note. In the episode, Karen says 24 states consider substance use during pregnancy to be child abuse. That number is actually 25 states plus the District of Columbia. This episode was produced by Meredith Hottenot, who also runs the show. It was edited by Brian Resnick, Catherine Wells, Bird Pinkerton, and Noam Hassenfeld. Noam also made the music in this episode. Sound design and mixing from Christian Ayala. And fact-checking from Tien Nguyen. <laughs> <laughs>